0: Well, good morning <laughs> i 'll tell you what he 's saying <laughs> there 's a new reading guide if you 're reading along with us there 's a new reading guide available, and uh, they 're in the uh, hall as you leave. Uh, you can pick one of those up. Also, he was talking about me and who I am. Uh, I am Brad Barden, and uh, i 'm glad to be here with you today. What he was also mentioning you saw in your bulletin by the way, is that Uh, I'm being suggested to fill in for your interim uh, missions and discipleship, pastor. And uh, so that's that's what he was also saying. (laughs) But I thank you for that. But uh, we'll be voting on that in a couple of weeks, I think. But the the main thing uh, that I want to say with that is one of the reasons why Eunice and I came here two years ago was because of the missions that uh, Mount Airy does. And uh, so... Praying for you to to be along with a side of us as we continue on in ministering and making God's word known. Um, but as we come together this morning, I've got a big theological statement I want to make about Ecclesiastes. Y'all ready for it? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> meaningless, utterly meaningless. We spend our lives trying to blow up a balloon, and it never gets filled because we go after the wrong things. That's what he's trying to say. People look at me weird when I say that one of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in Ecclesiastes. They look at me sort of like, you like being depressed? No, I like reality. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Look Up Lodge uh, and camp, and every summer I would make a commitment to God, saying, God, I want to be involved, and I thank you for what you've done for me through Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for you. And y'all know that story. As you go through high school and so forth, you then get with the old friends and doing the old things. After my senior year in high school, I became fed up with myself. And I had to decide, is this stuff that I have been fed all my life about Christianity, is it true or is it junk? And so for the first time, I went looking in the Bible and other places, by the way, for answers. And one of the places that I went to was Ecclesiastes. And it really helped me. Why? Okay, I'm 18 year old. I'm a guy. It's 1980. What do guys think about all the time in 1980 in high school? Sex. And I was thinking, why are all my friends having the fun and I'm not? Am I missing out on something? That was my big question. Ecclesiastes helped me understand That doesn't get you anywhere. That there's something more important in life than sex. That's hard to get through an 18-year-old's brain, by the way. But the neat thing about Ecclesiastes is as you go through life, you see all the places, all the temptations of people saying, that's it, that's what you need to do. And he shoots every single one of them down. That's why I like Ecclesiastes. But there's more to Ecclesiastes than that. There is, believe it or not, you can find it if you look. You can find purpose and understanding, even though Ecclesiastes, Solomon starts out saying meaningless, meaningless, everything is utterly meaningless. He says it in several different places. You have to look for it, but it's there. going to show you a couple passages. I hope you'll turn with me to them. Uh, The first one is Ecclesiastes. We're going to look in chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9 is where we'll start out. This is how he states what our purpose in life is. He says, what does the worker gain from his toll? I have seen the burden that God has laid on men. He's made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. Hear that? I know there's nothing better for men to do than to be happy and do good while they live. That they may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all its toll. This is the gift of God. Find satisfaction. Isn't that what we want? Some of you my age remember the Rolling Stones, one of their songs, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. We can't unless we turn to God. He goes on and he says, I know that in everything, everything that God does will endure forever, and nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that men will revere him. And then as he concludes Ecclesiastes, let's go to chapter 12, the conclusion of Ecclesiastes as he finishes his speech. And this is what he says. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Here is the conclusion of the matter. In other words, he's saying, if you want to understand what I've been trying to say, this is what I've been trying to say. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. That's it. Revere him, fear him, keep his commandments. Why? Because that's why you were created. Sounds like a lawyer, doesn't he? We want more than that. I do. Yeah, but why? Why should I revere him? The good news is that in the New Testament, we gain a new perspective of who God is. We fill in some of the pieces. I look at the writer of Ecclesiastes as, as someone telling us, look, I've experienced life and this is what I've found to be true. I want you to understand who I am and what I've gone through and I don't want you to have to go through it. Trust God. Obey Him. That's the best you can do in this life. It's sort of like he's giving a recommendation of who God is. Let's say you find out that you've got three or four blocked arteries in your heart. What do you do? Do you go look at a directory somewhere listing on the internet and say, let me find a doctor, and you always sort of go like that and find a doctor, whoever it is. That's fine. No. You look for recommendations, don't you? You start asking people who've had the surgery. Hey, did you like the person that did your surgery? Were they good? That's what you do, right? That's what the teacher's doing here in Ecclesiastes. He's telling you, I've had the surgery. I've experienced all the symptoms of life. And I can tell you who can bring healing, and it's God. He's making his recommendation. But let's go back to the heart example. Are you just going to take the recommendations of the people and say, okay, never meeting the doctor, I choose you? Of course not. You're going to sit down and interview that doctor, aren't you? How many of these surgeries have you done? What's your success rate? And you're going to try to get another personality. You won't like them, don't you? Well, to me, that's what the New Testament does. It is God sitting down and saying, okay, interview me. You know that I'm a doctor who claims that I can heal you. The New Testament is God saying, okay, let me show you who I am in the fullest way that I possibly can. Solomon, as the writer of Ecclesiastes, would have loved that opportunity. But it wasn't for him to have. But you know what? It is for us to have. Will we do it becomes the question. And what I want to do today is look at Ecclesiastes from this side of the cross. From the difference that God has made And how he has allowed us to say, okay, it's not just that he can do it, let me show you who I am. And he did that in the Old Testament, but boy, do we see it clearly in the New Don't we? As Jesus comes and walks among us. As Jesus, God himself, coming and dying on a cross to demonstrate that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves us. We get to know God. I'm glad I'm on this side of the cross because I understand God a lot better than Solomon, the wisest guy in the world, ever would because I've got to see displayed vividly who he is. So let's look at where we find in the New Testament comparisons to be made about what is talked about Ecclesiastes. I'm not going to ask you to turn to it, but there's two examples I'm going to look at. One is in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about treasure. And he says, don't allow yourself to be caught up looking for treasure in this world. Because the treasure in this world, he says, moth and rust and thieves come in and steal, and you don't have it. It goes away. But instead, he says, build treasure that lasts, that endures. He's talking about his relationship with us. That's in Matthew 6. And then Keith mentioned a passage last week. I want to refer back to it, Luke 12, where Jesus tells a parable of a rich guy who has an abundant crop come in, more than he could ever put away. So he builds. He says, I'm going to build more barns and and store it all. And I'll just sit back, rock in my rocking chair, and I'll be happy, and life will go well. And you remember what Jesus says in the parable that God says, what he calls this guy, who has everything? A fool. Why? Because in the parable, Jesus says, you're going to die tonight. What good is all those crops going to do you? So in the New Testament, you clearly see it pointing to Ecclesiastes and making Ecclesiastes statements don't trust this world and what it has to offer you. One of those places that I want to stop and look at and, and take a moment to look at is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, and it's in Romans 8. Folks, in Romans 8, if you find yourself struggling with life, I encourage you to go there. You're not going to have every question you have solved, but you can get a better understanding of what life is about and about how God operates in a world that makes no sense, that seems meaningless. Let's look at uh, Romans 8. I want to look at um, verse 18. He says, I consider, this is Paul talking, I consider my present, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. You believe that? It's easy to do when everything is going well, when you haven't suffered in this life a lot. You say, yeah, yeah, that, it's worth it, Yeah. But many of you know darker times than when everything goes well, don't you? You know times where it doesn't make sense, where life's unfairness just continues to grow and grow and feel like it overtakes you. Think about who wrote this. Paul wrote it. Think about Paul's life as he writes these words. Did he suffer? You better believe he did. Left to die. Thought he was dead. Beaten left and right. Thrown out of town after town for his message. Left shipwrecked. And yet he still sits down and he says, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that would be revealed in us. That's an amazing statement. And then he goes to explain it. He says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And boy, don't we ever. You look forward to Jesus coming back? I do. I think one of the things that happens to you as a Christian as you grow older is you understand that statement more and more. You identify with it more and more. But he says, we all want that. We all want this world to be made what it's supposed to be. But, comes the next thing. He says, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. A lot there. Let's break it down a little bit. Creation was subjected to frustration. Anybody disagree with that statement? The world goes beautifully? No. You can point examples in your own personal life. We can point to Texas, what happened yesterday. We can point to a hurricane. We can do a lot of things and say, this world is messed up. And that's a reality. And that's where he's echoing Ecclesiastes. It is frustrating. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Notice what he says next, and it's puzzling. Not by its own choice. Then who? By the will of the one who subjected it. Who's that? God. God. God wants you to be frustrated in this world. Well, isn't that mean? That's cruel, isn't it? He wants you to be frustrated. Don't stop there. There's more to the sentence. Why does he do that? In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought them to the glorious freedom of the children of God. God allows us to feel pain in this world. Why? Not because he's a cruel ogre and wants us to say, ah, look at him, he's suffering. No. It's because we've got a problem. And he wants us to be able to see we've got a problem. Folks, let's say I'm I'm on the stage now, and then I'd fall. Oh, oh, my leg! Oh, oh. Didn't really hurt. I'm a great actor, I know. But think about it. You ever broken anything? Yesterday, if you watched college football starting up, remember all the guys that get hurt on the field? What do they do? They're crying out in pain. They don't want to move. Why? because they don't want to hurt it worse, right? And then those doctors, those therapists come out, and they start moving the leg. And and you're thinking that the person who's there is saying, why in the world are you causing more pain? Why are you moving his leg? It's hurting. Stop. Well, they're trying to figure out what's wrong. The pain is there for a reason. You hear that? The pain of this world is there for a reason. It's for us to understand that there's something wrong. There's got to be something better. God gives us the opportunity to feel the pain of this world so that we'll recognize that sitting here and living by the standards of the world will get you nothing but, as He says, bondage to decay. You're just going to die. Utterly meaningless. What's the point? I look at that every single one of us when we come to this world are on death row and we're just waiting for the sentence to be carried out. That's who we are. Because sin in our lives puts us there. We're decaying. You know, there are some people in this world who feel no pain. Did you know that? There's something between their brain and their nerves that they don't communicate with each other. So they break a leg and they don't know it. And so does that mean they just walk around because they have a broken leg? Since there's no pain, it's not broken, right? No, it's broken. They're not going to be able to walk on it. Just because you deny the pain doesn't mean that it's not there. Paul's saying this world denies the pain. It tries to pretend that if you just do it this way, it'll work. And Paul's saying, no, it won't. There's still pain. And the pain is there to point us to the right place to go. Going to my doctor's example again. Going to having heart surgery. Think about it. You end up finding a physician you want. You trust them. And surgery goes on, and sure enough, your arteries are cleared out. Even though your chest has been wide open and everything and took a few hours, hey, you're back on the mend. So an hour later, you're leaving the hospital, right? Any of y'all who've had heart surgery, did that happen to you? No. (laughs) You hurt more after the surgery than you did before. Don't you? And it's not just for a moment. It may be a week or two before you even think, was this worth it? But the arteries are cleared. Even though you're still dealing with the pain, the heart's pumping. And it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's back working. If I were to use the illustration of what Paul's trying to get across, I think that's it. He's saying he wants us to know that through the pain of this world that there's something wrong... And the good news is there is a physician who can heal it. And it's God himself. But you've got to trust him. You've got to allow him to perform the surgery. You can't perform surgery on yourself, even though we try. You can't. You have to trust God. And the good news of the New Testament is he gives us opportunity after opportunity to see why we can trust him. Because he loves us enough that he sent his own son to die on a cross for our sins, even though we're sinners, to be forgiven. That's the good news. He lets us interview him and see how much. It's not just a statement of fact. God allows us to put all our emotions, all our energies to understanding who He is so that we will trust Him. And we will believe that He can bring us glorious freedom that we can't bring ourselves. Look at how He ends this part of the passage. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Women today, I have not had a child. Okay, I'll I'll confess that. I have seen my wife have two children. She had epidural. Great thing, so I'm told. It does help the pain. But yet, a woman can still understand this statement, can't you? Think about people who didn't have epidurals. This illustration means a lot more to them. But look at what he's saying here. The whole world, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Ask a woman after she's given birth and she holds her newborn. Will she say the pain is worth it? You better believe she will. You see why Paul says that? Go back to the first statement he makes. I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul's not denying the pain in this life, it is there. But it doesn't compare to what will be revealed in us. Just like a mother looking at her newborn child, it's worth it. That's what he's trying to get across. And then he goes further and talks about the fact that we groan, we still groan inwardly as we wait our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And he says, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is not seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I have to confess, sometimes I'm not patient. When it comes to that hope, I want it now. But it's there. The surgery has been performed. You are a child of God. When you allow God to come into your life through Jesus Christ and forgive you, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And the good news that Christ came and gives us new life is there but there's even better news than that new life folks and the better news is you're not sitting with a balloon that's got a hole in it blowing the rest of your life for no purpose you also have purpose in this life while you wait for what comes And Paul talks about that as well when we go to 2 Corinthians. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians 5. It's just a little bit past Romans there. 2 Corinthians 5. And Paul says something here as he writes the Corinth church about purpose. He says this, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view in verse 16. Verse 16, he says, from from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. From all the reasons that the writer of Ecclesiastes says it's wrong, he says, we don't look at the world that way anymore because that's utterly meaningless He says, we once regarded Christ this way, but we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're new. You have a new purpose. All this is from God who reconciled himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You want to know your purpose? He just told you. It's there. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God could have just come along and says, okay, I save you, you're saved, you go wait in the corner. But that's not what he did. He saved us and then he said, and I'm going to give your life purpose. I'm going to give you something that does matter for eternity. I'm going to give you something that when you put all your effort in it, when you allow my spirit to work in you, it will last. And what is that? It's the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? He goes on to describe it. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed us to this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Why in the world God would use me to make that appeal? I have no idea because I sure wouldn't. But he thinks enough of me, he loves me enough to say, go ahead. You're forgiven. Go ahead. This is purpose. This is meaning. Be my ambassador. Be the one who, like the writer of Ecclesiastes, like Solomon, says, I had the surgery, and this is what I can tell you. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to perform the surgery, thank goodness. We're called to tell about the good doctor who can and who will. What more important message do you have in an utterly meaningless world than the message of eternity, the message of life, the message of a glory yet to be revealed, but is there. Just because it's yet to be revealed doesn't mean it's not there, folks. It's there. God's already brought us to his way we are now his children we'll see it in a lot better way come, come down the road but it doesn't change the fact that we're already there and therefore we're called to live and to find purpose in life not from all the things the world tells us but what really matters the message of God and his salvation his healing that is available to anybody. Looking for purpose in life? Start there. End there. That's all you need to know. It's going to be done different ways. You're going to do it different than I am, but we still all have the same purpose. How are you doing with that purpose? Are you getting distracted by the things that the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about? We all do. I'm guilty of it just as well as anybody. But those messages are there to tell us, remember the ultimate thing that lasts. Focus on that. Let that be who you are. Not how great you are, how many people know your name, how much money you got, irrelevant. How are you doing at your purpose of telling God's message? world that desperately needs it, that's walking around dead and needs life. If you have a decision you'd like to make this morning, I I encourage you to come forward. And and maybe you're like me when I was in high after my high school year where you're just exploring life and you don't fully understand it. Folks, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about what I went through and why I came up with the realization that God was the answer. Or maybe you're somebody who's looking for purpose as a Christian and you've gotten off focus. Folks, this is your chance to say, I want to get back to what really does matter in this life. I want that to be my focus.